Today's episode is brought to you by Primetime Sports Talk, your top source for all major sports content, including DFS, fantasy advice, and great gambling tips. Be sure to head to primetimesportstalk.com to check out their in-depth analysis, exclusive articles, fascinating interviews, and explore the rest of their amazing podcast family. Again, primetimesportstalk.com, your go-to spot for sports content. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode number 11 of the From the A to the Bay podcast. Kevin Dana here, Jordan Watkins here. Katie, how are you doing? And actually, how are the brackets doing? Yeah, so the brackets took a major league hit when A, Ohio State lost, because on the men's side, I had them going to the Elite Eight. Uh, then they took a further hit when Illinois lost, which I had going to the national championship game. Ooh, so that's right. that was not good. On the women's side, I thought I'd get uh, crazy and pick Oregon to lose in the first round. That did not work out too well. I was just thinking they weren't playing well going into the tournament. They lost a couple of games uh, to, to Oregon State, who, who was on fire. And South Dakota has a pretty good just resume, just kind of one of those mid-majors that the last few years have been playing really well. So that didn't help. Um, my bracket was almost a disaster on the women's side in the first and second round with Texas A&M, who I have going to the final four. That's right. And I am feeling less and less comfortable about that. But, hey, uh, in the words of the venerable Vin Diesel, it doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. He no, once no. said to the late, great Paul Walker in the first Fast and the Furious. Uh, so they're still hooping. Uh, barely. Uh, so that could have been a huge disaster. I had Stephen F. Austin going to the Sweet 16, thought I'd get clever there. Now Georgia Tech, which, you know, Stephen F. Austin probably should have beaten Georgia Tech. Uh, no, mm. no disrespect to, to any uh, people on this podcast who might like the Yellow Jackets due, due to where they're from. But, um, <laughs> Not naming any names or anything. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm trying to think. My Elite Eight is – oh, no, my Elite Eight is not intact because I had UCLA going to the Elite Eight. They just kind of ran out of bodies, and they've been playing with eight players all season, and it caught up to them last night. Yeah, uh, last yeah. night being Wednesday night because we're recording this on Thursday morning. Yeah, that was tough. I mean, even just early on, Texas in that defense against UCLA was absolutely smothering. Um, yeah. And I got that wrong. Obviously, you know, I'm always going to pick a Pac-12 team whenever I can. Um, but the one time that I didn't, that's come to bite me because I picked Georgia to beat Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> and Georgia took, I mean, Oregon took care of that one. Uh, let's see, what else am I doing on my women's side? All I know is, at least for now, my Final Four is still intact, which is good. Let's see, Georgia's out of my Elite Eight. UCLA's out of my Elite Eight. So I have six teams left. Okay. So that's not bad. Yeah, I yeah I have, uh, I have wait, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, I got, I got seven left. But you, you have Stanford, South Carolina, Baylor, and Arizona. In right? Arizona, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Stanford, South Carolina, Baylor, A&M. Okay. Um, how's your men's bracket looking? Yeah, so so far, not too bad. Let's see. Elite eight-wise, they got five teams left. One, two, three. Yep, five teams. One team in the Final Four, though, is out. Okay. But, again, it was a Pac-12 team that did it, so I'm not complaining. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have. Yeah, I have. I have six of my elite eight, but I have one of my national champion participants and one of my. Uh, yeah, yeah, one of my national championship participants is Denzo. So, what, what have been like the big surprises for you so far on both sides? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, well, on the men's side, Oral Roberts getting to the Sweet 16. I remember they actually came to Maples Pavilion in the 2009-10 season. Mm-hmm. And I want to say – I should have looked this up. I want to say the guy's name was Dominic Morrison. I could be wrong. He had like 30 or 31 in the game, and he hit a buzzer beater. Stanford lost on like three buzzer beaters that year. Like uh, they were really undermanned. Josh Owens was out for the year. Um, they just – yeah, they didn't – have they weren't that deep that year talent wise but like they played their asses off and I thought that was really Johnny Dawkins best coaching job to get that team to the Pac-12 tournament or Pac-10 tournament at the time semifinals uh so I've seen Oral Roberts play in person now it was 11 years ago and obviously nobody was on that team that that's definitely the big <laughs> surprise um for, for me on the men's side uh, I also the Pac-12 how well the Pac-12 has done we knew on the women's side that they were gonna I, right. I had three teams going to the Sweet 16 for the Pac-12 not the three teams that made it but I think we all knew that you know the Pac-12 on the women's side was going to make a deep run. I've uh, I've learned to become very skeptical of the Pac-12 on the men's side, and I mean I did have USC going to the Elite Eight. I do I did have USC playing Oregon in the Sweet 16, so that's like the okay. one thing I did right on my bracket. But uh, but yeah, I've just I mean Oregon State in the Sweet 16, uh, UCLA as a, mm-hmm. a first four participant in the Sweet 16. Without two of their best players. Without two of their best players. Colorado, uh, you know, getting to the second round and, you know, putting up a, a good fight for yeah. 32 minutes or mm-hmm. so against who I have going to the final four, Florida State. Um, yeah, I've just been, yeah, floored by how well the Pac-12 has done. I mean, they they came into the tournament with five teams and only one has been eliminated, uh, you know, and it was only three years ago when the Pac-12 went 0-3. Opening, yeah. In the opening, they lost a couple of first four games. I want uh, I, I think both UCLA and Arizona State were first four participants that year. I could have that wrong. And then Arizona was a four seed and got blown out by 13th-seeded Buffalo. And, That's right. And it's just like everyone wanted to skewer the Pac-12. And, you know, we've had a couple of seasons where there's been two teams to make the tournament. Now the Pac-12, which just shouldn't happen, is a power. Conference. I agree. It's it's just, but I mean, they didn't deserve more than two teams. Um, no, the, the, I no for sure. Um, and I feel like on the other side of the coin, the big surprise for me has been how poorly the Big Ten has played. Oh because yeah, everybody coming in, and rightfully so, everyone coming into this tournament, this is the best. This is the best conference in college basketball. And the, the funny thing about it to me is how people are now making the excuses for them. And that's the whole thing of, well, they just beat each other up in the regular season. They played everybody. But we were yet yeah, we were just talking about on the women's side, the Pac-12, they played everybody. And I think yeah. everyone knows the Pac-12 is the best conference in women's college basketball. Yet yeah. here they are still advancing. I think they've lost, I think, one team, one or two teams so far. Yet, so why is that not the excuse for them? But we're, you're going to try to use that excuse for the Big Ten that yeah. it doesn't add up it's just call it what it is they weren't as good as we thought they were yeah and, and we and we he, we also hear that like how that argument doesn't work for Pac-12 football right like because like the north a few exactly. years was super deep and the south has been super deep and it's like well, why did all these teams have two losses and three losses well they beat up on each other but like nobody wants to buy that and, and you can't lose more than one time and get into the college football playoff but you know, it seems like other other uh, conferences sometimes get a free pass with that. Oh, well, the conference is too tough. Right. And 
I'm sorry, this is crazy because uh, obviously today's the trade deadline. Yeah, so, I've been uh, my like phone's a, been. Uh, yeah, one just went through. Uh, Vucevic, Alfaruqamino to the Bulls for Otto Porter, Wendell Carter Jr., and two first rounders. Wow. Okay, Chicago. Yeah, I. Like, well, first I, off, that makes me happy because that means I don't have to deal with Vucevic in the division anymore. Yes. Goodness, yes. he tears us up. He, wow, that he is hey, underappreciated. He is so good. Yes. Um. Wow. That's yeah. My my one of my boys was just texting me this, the the you know the Bleacher Report and Woj tweets. Um, yeah. I hey the Chicago Bulls this year. I mean Billy Donovan's done a heck of a job. Like I know they're five games under five hundred, but they've been kind of irrelevant for a. I mean, uh, I guess they went to the playoffs three or four years ago, but they've just kind of felt irrelevant for a while. And it's good when the bull. It's good for the league when the Bulls are good. And Billy Donovan has that team headed in the right direction. And getting Vucevic is a huge plus huge. for this team. You know, I, mean, I think the, that this definitely solidifies them as a top 10 team in the East without question. Absolutely. It also shows you what they think about not only just their team this year, but where their, their trajectory going forward. Yeah. And because, I mean, now you look at it, if he continues to grow, you have a front court potentially of Vucevic and Lowry Markkinen, which – both guys can, you know, they can play down low, stretch all the way outside to yeah. three. You have two explosive guards in Kobe White, Zach Levine. Like this is a, something looks like it's finally coming together. And also yeah. on the on the Billy Donovan front, you know, I, I've been saying this even when he was at Oklahoma City, where it's like he's not. It's not like he's a bad coach. Yeah, he's this this, this a solid NBA coach. Like just because you're not making it to the conference finals or the NBA finals every year. That, that doesn't mean that you're a bad coach in this league. Yeah. So it's good to see that he's at least trending in a good direction right now in Chicago. So we can start to get that credit again that he deserves. Yeah. I mean, he had to deal with a lot of stuff at Oklahoma well, yeah. city with a lot of like player drama and stuff. And they were always competitive. They were always in the playoffs. First of all, uh, he was a clay Thompson heater away from going to the NBA finals mm-hmm. in 2016 um yeah he he's just done a really good job wherever he's been I mean there was kind of that you know before Brad Stevens and 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 Billy Donovan there was kind of that uh perception of college coaches that if you go from college to the NBA you're not going to win in the NBA like Chicago saw that yeah uh yeah with Hoiberg who you know they they kind of mortgaged it, it felt like they mortgaged a lot on Hoiberg becoming you know like the savior of that franchise mm-hmm. they just went down i mean they made the playoffs barely a couple of years and then just completely fell off the face of the earth um so i mean donovan is a hell of a coach and, Absolutely. and like he didn't have that much different of a roster coming into this year uh for a team that didn't even make the bubble last year and had them competitive and and they like were bad to start this season too they did not get off to a good start um Absolutely. And, and so for them to be where they're at uh yeah i'm just yeah really impressed and, and like you mentioned the young core that 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 team's gonna be gonna be in the thick of a playoff race for years to come oh absolutely and i mean the more you get to keep zach levine around the more you know kobe's gonna grow lowry's gonna grow and you're in a big market yeah so you know whenever free agency pops up or the big free agents out there, you're always going to be in the running for them as long as you have something around them where it's like, okay, I can see something 
that they're building. I can see the trajectory that they're going. I want to, I, I, I can see myself being in Chicago. 100%. They also got that top five pick, Patrick Williams, right. who, who they've been starting and they, and they really like. He's not going to be a guy who, who's going to give you 20 a game, but he, he's definitely a, a big rotation piece, very good defensively. And uh, that's, that's another kind of another chip there that, that, that they got. Yeah, so keep your eyes peeled on Chicago. Some things are going on there. But since we already pivoted over to the NBA side, there was this interesting conversation that was going on the the last day or two. So Draymond comes out, says he he believes he's the best defender in the history of the NBA. And when he did, got the attention of the grind father. Tony Allen of the Grindhouse Grizzlies uh, saying, you know, you haven't been stamps. You know, this this is not true. It's cap. So Draymond goes back at him, talking about, you know, well, basically Draymond flipped the argument, right? He was talking about his offense in the series where it was basically four against five. Yeah. And so Tony Allen said the same thing, hashtag call Clay. Um, <laughs> and he was on the morning roast uh, yesterday. It was a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal segment. Um, Katie, what, about, what do you think? Where would you rank Draymond in terms of all-time defenders? Yeah, see, that that's – it's tough for me to do because I mean, just because I don't like, I know like Bill Russell was a great defender, mm-hmm. right? Like I never watched him play. Like, I mean, I've seen highlights, but I haven't like actually watched it. Like I haven't really, you know, I, he was in the league 17 years before I was born. So it, it, it's tough for me to make a definitive statement on, on best defender of all time. I will say, I think he is, was very underappreciated when he was, you know, in those years in the mid 2010s when mm-hmm. he was making cases for defensive player of the year. I thought in 2015 he was robbed of defensive yep. player. They gave it to Kawhi. Of course, you know, not going to be too many complaints about Kawhi being defensive player, but I thought right. he was the better defensive player that year. He got his flowers in 2016. Uh, and I think maybe by then there was kind of a, a fatigue on giving Draymond Green awards, even though it was one year. Um, you know, I, so I I will say, I think he was definitely underappreciated at that time, even though, you know, he would let you know that he's the best defensive player of all time. So he, you know, he's given himself the props, but I, that that's tough to make as a historical argument, just because I couldn't even begin to tell you like pre 1998, Mm -hmm. like who was just like a lockdown. I mean, I know Gary Payton was a lockdown defender, but like, how much do I really remember him being? a great defender versus sure. how much do I remember everyone telling me he's a great yeah. guy because I was, I was just too young. So I don't know. That's, that, that's a, that's a tough claim to make On the flip side, I, I can definitively say, I do think Michael Jordan's the best of all time, but I mean, just, you know, generally speaking, but for, for, for defense, when it's something like you have to actively like focus in on instead of just kind of taking a game in and just, you know, seeing where the ball goes, uh, that, yeah, I don't. I mean, hey, if he if he thinks the if he thinks he's the greatest, good for him. Um, yeah, I I I can't make a definitive distinction one way or another. What about you? Uh so the, I like the way he defined it. You know, it wasn't just hey, if it's a one on one situation, I'm locking somebody up every single time. It wasn't wasn't yeah. like that. It was more so of the other things that really don't get stats for. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, obviously he's going to be your, he's going to be the, the quarterback, if you will, the whole defense. Yep. This is because his IQ is 
off the charts, right? Like he, Rondo, LeBron, those guys are way up there and everybody else is down here. Not to say other people aren't smart. It's just yeah. how they know the game is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, and I think about it this way, is he really necessarily a rim protector? He'll block shots, but I don't yeah. think of him as a shot blocker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He can get steals for you, but, and, but it's just like, I think he does so many different things really well that, you know, it's, uh, who was it? When Hans Ward was in the league for the NFL, yeah. The thing for him coming out of Georgia was he is really good at a lot of things, but not great at like one thing. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Draymond's kind of like that where yeah. he, I mean, he can guard one through five. You know, mm-hmm. there's only a handful of guys in NBA history that have been able to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, he will protect the rim for you. Some can get the steals for you. So I understand where he's coming from. What I have him as the best No, not, not the best of all time, but um but I, I, I see where he's coming from in terms of, yeah, you're not going to, it's not because I have X amount of awards or, you know, as Tony Allen even put it, not because, you know, he's shutting down Kobe or guys like that, but so many things that he does to affect the defense. I'm, I see where he's coming from. Yeah. I mean, he was the quarterback of a defense that went to the NBA finals for five straight years in large part, not only because of the great shooting of Clay and Steph, but because of that defense that defense was consistently you know, ranking among the best in the league. And Draymond reason was the number one reason. Uh, Draymond yeah. Green was the number one reason why. You don't, you're not able to have that Hamptons five lineup without how good he was defensively. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, and that, that was the, the fear of everyone, right. Was as soon as they go to that, all right, well, we know they're going to score every single time down. Now we have to get nervous and panic and try to take bad threes and match them, but we can't do that because we don't have the two or three best shooters in the world. Exactly. Um, that that That's Draymond's presence. You don't do that or you don't have that without somebody who can be some, still somewhat of a, a paint defender like Draymond was. Yeah, one, 100%. Yeah, but I mean, I guess to your point, if I had to pick who is, is the greatest defender, oh, that's tough. Because, I mean, even then, you know, depending on your position, yeah, how do you view a great defender? It's different. Yep. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if you're outside, lockdown, you, you got to be a lockdown defender guy, get more steals. If you're inside, it's about blocks and things like that. So that's tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Gary Payton and Dikembe Mutombo, too. Like, how, how, do you, how do you judge those guys against each other? Exactly. Which I guess is also kind of going with Draymond's point. You know, yeah. where it's, okay, I don't have to go with just – this metric or that metric. I can look at all of them with, when it comes yeah. to Draymond, which it's like, okay, I got you. Yeah. 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 But yeah that, that's a tough one. Yeah. 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 Now I'm just, I'm over <laughs> here. I'm frantically looking at my iPad too, since, you know, today is, uh, today's John Collins day for me. Um, yeah. I, <clears throat> I, I hope he stays with Atlanta. They better. I, they, I mean, it, it would, none of what they'd done in the last, what two weeks will make sense to me if they trade him yeah. um you, you change head coaches because you thought this is what you needed as a spark to make that push um you just got bogey back deandre hunter's just getting back uh chris dunn might be getting back in the next few games or so i'm not fully sure uh so why is it that you, you, if you wanted to make the playoffs, why would you make a move that would then hinder you or hurt your chances of making the playoffs? Yeah, no, I, 
Yeah, that I mean, that was the whole goal with this team this season. And, yeah. and John Collins is oh, that was just the future is so bright with this dude. Um, you know, touches touches or not that he gets, which I know like was reported as kind of a a concern mm-hmm. early in the year. Like, is there enough touches for both uh, he and uh, for for him and and Trey Young? But man, just. He's just such an incredible lob threat. He's so skilled. Just you, you got to make that work. You got to try. You, you can't give up on the John Collins, Trey Young no. tandem right now. And and the thing for me is, if there aren't enough touches for him, who do you think is going to come in for him where there will be enough touches for? Him? Because yeah. right now, John like John is trying to scratch the surface of being a, num- a true number two option in the league. Yeah. And, and again, like when I say that, I'm saying like in terms of, you know, deep playoff run type team, he's, he's trying to get to that number two level. And when you think about other guys who are number twos in the league, they get a whole lot more touches than he does. Oh, so yeah. at that point, who do you think is going to come in then if, if he's having a problem saying he's not getting enough touches, who do you think you can get that would be cool with that amount of touches? Yeah, exactly. Especially someone who's in their mid to late twenties. No right. way. So, and if they're, they're established in this league, absolutely not. Yeah, and just like that—that that core is so young. Your two best players in in their early twenties, like, and the fact that they are twenty-two and twenty-two with the injuries they've had, twenty-two and twenty-two at, at the time of this podcast recording, like, it is pretty impressive when you think yeah, for about sure. It. So I I don't. Yeah, I, I don't see why there there's reason to panic. And sing, since we're speaking of the Hawks, like I didn't realize that Tony Snell was a fifty six percent three point shooter. Yeah, boy. I mean, I just looked at you know as like this defensive guy. Yeah, I, he had some three point abilities. I didn't realize he was that dead eye. And I'm looking at his career right now, and he's consistently been high thirties, low forties. Right. But man, fifty six percent. Yeah, I, when um, it was a few days, a few weeks ago. So I think it was when he hit the game winner against uh, Tampa, Toronto. And it was one of my friends, he said to me, it's like, this is, uh, he, was, he was saying something, it was like a jab at Cal Corver, like, you know, a funny little jab at Cal Corver. And I was sitting here, it's like, don't you dare compare anybody to Cal Corver. That's like, what boy. And then he'll say, if anybody knows, Cal Corver's my guy. Don't you say anything about him. And then I looked on Twitter, highest field three-point percentage in the league is like, oh really yeah okay huh. maybe it wasn't that bad after all yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah man he he's been absolutely lights out um which has been great because as you mentioned all those injuries that we've had I, I still don't know how long Cam Reddish is going to be out uh like I said DeAndre Hunter's just getting back in the swing of things so the fact that he was able to step in and, and he's been shooting the way he has it's been huge yeah, it's been huge. And of course, when it comes down that stretch, you got to be able to have guys to knock down those shots. Yeah. I got mean, to. Honestly, maybe this is bringing up a sore point, but uh, they should be on a 10 game win streak right now. Oh, I agree 100%. Like they've, they've really been playing well under McMillan. Uh, They're a 20 point blown lead away against the Clippers. And then last night uh, had, had some issues late against the Kings. <sighs> What's an Atlanta team without a big blown lead, Kevin? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that hurts. But we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, this is going to be fun. My guy, Ryan Diller, is going to be in here. We're going to talk about 
his last year working with the 49ers and possibly what they're looking forward towards the future as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, everyone, welcome back to From the A to the Bay podcast. It is my pleasure to introduce 49ers prep coordinator and the birthday boy, Ryan Dillard, hey. with us. What's going on, Ryan? Happy birthday. How's it going? Birthday. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Everything's going solid. Just starting the day out good. Got some meditation in, my daily devotional, okay. and just got through working out. So, yeah, everything's solid so far. How are y'all okay. doing? Shoot, doing what? Was it Mike Peel today? What, what was the workout? Oh, no Mike Peel. I need to get some Mike Peel in, though. But no, it was just regular boxing workout. This dude named okay. Nate Bauer. So I watch his YouTube video. So he's pretty dope. Okay, cool. cool. It, for, for, for the uninitiated, what is a, a Mike Peel? <laughs> so Mike Peel, <laughs> he's a, his dad actually showed him to me earlier during the pandemic. He mm-hmm. has like dance workouts on YouTube. They're like usually around like 30, 35 minutes long. And like these things, they get you. Like I, I'll usually burn 400, 450 calories Ooh. during that, during that workout. Like it's, it's cool. You learn a whole routine and you, you know, you do it over and over to like some, uh, some mixes that I guess either he or his DJ makes. It's really cool. Well, yeah. what, what kind of mixes are like, what, what are we listening to during these oh, 30 minutes? It's, it's different. They have like different themes depending on which workout it is. Sometimes it's like some old school R&B. Sometimes you got some older hip hop. Like it, it's a mix. It's pretty cool. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's, it's dope. And my dad's like, he's like, loves these. He does like two routines a day, mm-hmm. just about does some walking on the treadmill. But um, I think what's so cool about it is the way he breaks it down. Like yeah. you would never think like you could learn this whole like dance routine, but him going through the steps and repeatedly like doing it over again, that repetition like feeds into just everything you're doing. And so by the end, you're like, dang, I learned a whole routine and it's like, and he breaks it down. It's easy. So that's mm-hmm. what I love about it. You don't realize you're working everything, your whole body. So it's dope. Nice. Yeah. That, that's one I'll definitely have to try from the privacy of my own. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't worry. When I do mine, I make sure the blinds are closed. <laughs> everything's cool. Like, no, everything's locked. You can't see it. Uh, but, but yeah, let, let's get into it, man. So obviously with, with prep, I know you, you do so much with kids out here in the Bay, whether it's camps. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to work for some of them with you and for you. What's the last year been looking like on that front? Because obviously I know you haven't been able to be in person. You're actually in Atlanta right now. Um, what, what, so what's that been looking like? And how have you, you and the rest of the team trying to get around not being able to be with the kids in person? It's been so interesting. I know last year around this time, it was, I think, the second week of March where we had just got back from a um, – uh, our youth football conference in Vegas and so <laughs> everything was shutting down like the airports and stuff were starting to shut down and uh, everything was everybody was starting to freak out so um, we got a notification that was saying like hey like everybody work from home these you know next couple of weeks and let's see how uh, everything goes and then that got pushed back to literally like a year or so and so what we've done, we were trying to figure out, you know, what are ways we can still stay engaged with kids throughout this, you know, time. And um, a lot of it was, okay, we're going to have to figure out how to transition and do it in a virtual setting. And so what we've done, we started out with, um, we work really closely with Special Olympics of Northern California and Nevada. And uh, we started out by doing a virtual workout with them. And that was super dope. They loved it. We had about like 200 kids or so. And we were like, you know what? We can do some more of these. So that was one way, the virtual workouts. Um, 
the next way, uh, my my guy, Nizam, he is our flag football manager. And so we were looking to, uh, to do something that um, could work with his, like, programming. And so one was the flag football virtual training camp. So what we did was, for me, I'm, like, outside in my backyard doing these, like, drills. And, like, literally we put together a program that's showing you how to do, like, quarterback fundamentals, how to do running back fundamentals, how to do wide receiver, like, just going down the list of offensive defense and showing them agility drills you can do with, like, ladders, four cones, like, and what we did was we recorded these, edited them on my iMovie app (laughs) on my phone, and literally we put those on our website and kids were able to follow along with it. So um, it's cool to see how we've been able to, like, Literally, I've, like, built up, like, I can literally edit and, like, do all this stuff on iMovie. It's been wild to see just how it's all come together. But, and then besides that, from the flag football virtual training camp stuff that we did, we did what we call now a virtual fitness program. And so that is, takes the place of what we have, like, our in-school activations. So those would usually be when we're in person, we go to different junior training camp. We go to different schools, elementary, middle schools, and we play football with them, teach them about the fundamentals. And so what we did was um, we were like, okay, we want kids to still stay active and healthy, even if it's in the comforts of their own home. And so we put together exercises and uh, drills that they could do as far as like just regular, like how to do a push up, how to do, you know, a squat, how to do dips, like, and just showing them that they can still exercise in their home. So that's kind of like what we've been up to and just kind of continuing to build on that platform. Ryan, for me personally, you're a really interesting guest to have on because I come from more of the basketball world. And when I think about, you know, kind of coaching kids outside of like a normal school team setting, like, you know, that's AU on the basketball side. And obviously you can't, you know, have kids play in pads and tackle football 12 months out of the year. That That's just not going to work. But But what is like that skill development like, you know, for, you know, kind of off-season stuff for, for kids in the sport of football. Um, I, I know you I, I know that you've at least played basketball because I played against you, you know, at, 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 mm-hmm. at the gym. But I'm not sure what your, what your basketball background is. But what, what is that like, you know, being a coach, not with necessarily like a team, but just trying to get kids to, you know, uh, to, to love the sport of football and to develop their skills – you know, outside of a, a, a traditional team setting? Um, it's been interesting. I think the it all comes down to having the want to for the kid. Like the kid has to have the want to, to, you know, want to watch videos or want to train, want to work out. Like it can't be from anybody else. Like you can motivate them a little bit, but at the end of the day, that has to come from within and they have to want to do that. And so it's cool. I think um, a lot of times what I've learned about with kids is that, you know, the energy that you put out, like, they're going to feed off that. They're going to reciprocate that and then be like, dang, like, you know, he's hyped. He's like loving what he's doing. Like, let me, I want to get on that same level, be that same energy. And so it's cool that, um, you know, when you put that out into the universe through like exercise videos, drills, whatever, um, like virtual workouts, like people see that and the kids love it. They love, you know, that energy and, that's what gets them going. So, you know, if we can continue to do that and motivate them and give them a resource, then we're all for it. That's what we want to do, like, as far as, like, our prep department. And that's what it's all about, you know, getting kids, introducing them to the game of football. And, you know, whether it's, like, you know, them learning a little bit or maybe saying, like, this is maybe not for them, but at least teaching them and allowing them to have an experience, whether that's, you know, with the Niners or, um, you know, at a camp or whatever it may be or virtually. So, 
So um, talk me through this, because I know you've been around coaching for a long time now, right? Whether it's helping out with your dad or just watching them um, all the way up through now. One thing I'm curious about, have you seen, or anything you remember, have you seen uh, maybe a change in numbers of how many people show up as of the last few years and maybe a few years before just because of, no, I feel like a lot of parents, especially more so compared out here than like say in Georgia, um, are, you know, they get worried with the, the concussion studies that continuously come out. Uh, do you, have you seen like a change in numbers there or like, do you do anything or say anything to kind of help keep the, the parents a little less uh, afraid of, you know, putting their kids out in football? So I think, you know, the Bay Area has been interesting. You know, there are so many things to do in the Bay. And I think that's another thing why sometimes we feel like football is kind of on a decline in a sense. And, um, you know, the main thing we want to ensure parents is that it's okay. Like a lot of them are in a sense scared because like you said, the concussion protocol, that's something that's been big, you know, lately. And um, people we're trying to ensure them that, you know, it's, fine like put them in flag and so a lot of parents are resorting to flag more and um that's I think that's a great thing that's introducing to the game allowing kids to be able to still play and you know learn the game and if they want to transition to um pads then all good like perfectly fine but I think having flag as another alternative has been so helpful for just kids in general nowadays and um you know this is one thing that we're trying to just continually encourage because you know, football, sometimes in the Bay or like in the Bay, as far as like right now, it's been hard to like keep that going with the pandemic and everything. And so we're just trying to keep like still grow the game, you know, as much as we can with like flag and any like programs that we can do. So you, you bring up an interesting point regarding flag football, because it, it does feel like the popularity of flag football, you know, in, in, in that age group is certainly you know, ticked up. Do you think there might be kind of like a, a future for flag football at maybe like a, a high school level where it, it kind of becomes like a, a high school sanctioned sport? To be honest, yes. I feel like, you know, maybe as an alternative, I know what's actually really cool is that, you know, they just got uh, women's flag football. It's actually like um, an actual high school sport in like certain states. Mm-hmm. So I know Atlanta um, for sure. And I believe Florida as well. Uh, so we're looking like the Bay is looking to hopefully do that as well. And we've actually been talking with Hawaii to hopefully, um, you know, get them as a uh, sanctioned state for having flag, women's flag football as one as well. But, um, you know, not I think it will be it will be a little harder for uh, men's because, of course, we have like pat, like pads football anyways. But yeah. Um, yeah, women, it's been dope to see that, you know, girls are getting that opportunity and um, like love that. So. Yeah. Hey, I'm all with it. Just another sport for Georgia to dominate in, man. That, that, that's the only way I look at it. <laughs> but, um, but no, I'm, I'm glad we talked about this because I, I, you know, thinking back to some of the camps, especially the, the, the youth camps, you know, sometimes we do high school camps, sometimes it's for the kids, but there definitely has been a good amount and increasing amount, at least what I've noticed, of, you know, young girls that, that go and show up and they have so much fun. Uh, I think the stat as of late was what, 40 per, 47% of NFL fans are women. Um, so, you know, just tell, tell me about that. Like, how cool is that to see, uh, you know, all the little girls that are out playing and, and just, you know, I guess 
the and that you know combating the perception of what football is of being that you know this masculine sport where it's like oh you got little girls out here playing and having fun too yeah no I think it's awesome to see you know one for um of course like it being a male dominated sport for to one show up is like just awesome like the fact that we had you know I think it was like two or three girls that showed up to our skills camp last year I thought that was so dope because they were like like just doing their thing like like nothing phased them and I love that they are confident representing and like they should be like they're doing what they're they're skilled at what they do and it was just cool to see I know we had a couple we had like two kickers and one wide receiver and um it was just it's it's really cool to see how just like they've grown and like they've just continued to just ball out and do what they do. And I think another thing is like we've seen like there were a bunch of girls at a three day camp as well. And so mm-hmm. like Jordan, you were there. Like yeah. you like there was um um who was it? Uh what's the girl in your group? Her name, she had the the best, like honestly the best footwork. And she was she was um, dusting everybody. Dusting everyone. Yes. And I was like <laughs> but I was like, it's just like stuff like that. That's like super motivating to see like, um, you know, where our society is going. And I love that. Like more girls are interested in the game of football. Like let's keep growing it. Let's do it. How, how much do you think the influence of a Sarah Fuller at Vanderbilt has on, on young girls, you know, maybe thinking of football or, or flag football as a sport they want to pursue? I think it's so big when, because a lot of times when you see someone that looks like you and you're like, they're doing, you know, something, it gives you like that confidence. It makes you say like, wow, if she can do it, then I can do it. Like, or if he can do it, I can do it. And so like being able to see someone kind of, um, you know, lead the way in a sense, like it, I think it's giving a lot of Uh, motivation for young girls to like tap into the game of football to be like you know what I can see myself doing this you know everybody has role models at the end of the day and like they have people they looked up to and so a lot of times you use that you know role model or whoever it may be that's ahead of you use them as motivation and um, I think that's what they can do with like a Sarah Fuller so that's awesome. And Morgan Salswoodell, too. I just want to put that out. And Morgan. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, but uh, let me let me pivot just a little bit um because you know you you were a db so this seven on seven means a whole lot more and different to you than what it would mean to me as a as a lineman right uh what what do you put like what how much value do you put in seven on seven because i know this has been a conversation so many times for some coaches they love it some coaches don't really care about it what what do you see in it You know, I think it is valuable for, you know, being able to learn the game, being able to, you know, do those, um, you know, just work on your game in general. But I think there's also has to be an understanding of, you know, what does this person do in pads? And a lot of times we, I think coaches may overlook that. They may see like the the seven on seven. And uh, of course, there's like always the potential, but is he or is she making those same plays in the game? And so I think um, coaches have to look into that as well. But I think 707 is great. I think it's a great recruiting tool. Um, but I also think, like, I would rather see your game film. Like, that's like, like, let me see what you're doing in the game. Let me see if it's translating. I would rather see that and kind of go off of that before I go off of 707. How, how much can 707 translate to, to actual – game you know kind of like 
you know, being in pads, like are, are there like seven on seven stars who just, you know, it's a different thing when they put on the pads or, or is that pretty translatable? Um, I think it just depends. Like, cause you know, a lot of it, like some, you know, some kids may not, you know, hit or like you, there's like contact in seven on seven, but there's not like the full on contact like you would have in a actual game. And so like, you know, you want to see those things translate, like, can this person hit? Can this person, like, catch with pads on? Can this person uh, tackle? Can this person, um, for wide receivers, like, catch with pads on? Like, um, like you just you just want to see all that stuff translate. And so, for me, like, I'm the person, like, okay, I'm like, okay, this person can, can ball. Let me see what he can do in pads. So, that's kind of, like, my next stepping stone. Like, okay, I can see, like, see what they do in flag. I'm like, all right, they balling. So, let me see what they do in the game, like, actual game. So, <laughs> Wadi, as a, as a lineman, did you even play seven on seven? Only at lunchtime. Okay. <laughs> Only at lunchtime. That's it. <laughs> but um, Wadi was the man. We would go straight up to this man every like, and we want to score. Throw it to Wadi. <laughs> well, remember that one time. So, uh, Kevin, sometimes back when you know everything was open, we would go down to Levi's on one of their practice fields on Saturdays oh, and God. and do like some two hand touch stuff. And I tell you, I still got the hands. <laughs> they, they don't drop anything, all right? They don't drop anything. I just want to tell you that right now. Uh, David Shaw should have made you a tight end. I tried to tell them. <laughs> I tried to tell them. Sorry. In my, in, my, in my next life, my next life, I'll be a tight end. Did, in high school, though, did you, like, play tight end? Or did, were you ever in a skill position? Or are you just always stuck on the line? Defensive line is a skill position. It, oh, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot who I was talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But uh, no, let, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about some, some UFC real quick. Uh, obviously, so that's where Ryan went. Uh, we had a couple of matchups while we, were, while we were playing in college. And, Ryan, one of the things I've always said about the Pac-12 is, you know, we, you know, there's been that run where Stanford's been good, Oregon's been good, UW's been good. But I always tell people at the end of the day, if we want to get that national relevance as a conference again, it starts and ends with USC. Um, and so tell me what you've seen from them these last few years. Do you think they're, they're working that way back? Do you think, you know, a lot of people obviously, they're split opinions on Clay Helton. Do you think they need to change that? Like, what, what do you think is the direction for USC? So I think we're on the up and, you know, a lot of it comes down to discipline. I think um, we have the talent and, you know, it's a lot also comes down to keeping those, you know, highly uh, ranked recruits in the state. Like a lot of them come from California and a lot of them are, you know, going to Oregon, going to a Stanford, going to, you know, these different college colleges out of state. And we're like losing out on some of those uh, recruits. And so what we have to do is be able to say like, Hey, like, this is, you know, what we can offer and, you know, get those recruits to stay. And if you can get them to stay, then that's going to better in the long run. So I think right now uh, I love Coach Helton. Coach Helton is, is a player coach. And, you know, I know he's taken a lot for, you know, being the nice guy, this and that, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, when you have somebody that you like as a player's coach, that makes you want to play for them, you know. And at the you, – you want somebody that's going to, you know – go to bat for you in a sense. So I think for that, um, the main thing, but I think we can also be more disciplined. And 
I think that comes down to little penalties that we'll make during the game that could cost us like it may be a third down and somebody gets a penalty and like that goes fourth down, like gets a first down. And it's stuff like that that we can't have in big time games. Like you see, like that's where uh, we struggle with. And so, um, yeah, I think with USC keeping the recruits in like in the state and then also, you know, just that more that discipline factor and, you know, starting out like dominating from the get go. I think sometimes it takes us like uh, it takes us a quarter or two to get warmed up. And then we come out and we, we start balling in like the third quarter and fourth quarter. I'm like, we can't have that against a, you know, a good team. Like that's not going to fly. So, right. you know, like, that discipline is so important. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up about, Clay Helton because I I've been a fan of his for a while and I feel like sometimes USC fan base can get completely irrational about some things which every college football fan base does that's not just exclusive to USC but I mean the only all right outside of the one five and seven year all this guy has done is one I mean you know he he took over as an interim head coach and took them to the Pac-12 championship game he took them to, you know, they won their first Rose Bowl in a long time under him. Yeah. Uh, last year, they were undefeated in the regular season, guys, of the Pac-12 football championship game. In 2019, they were 7-2 and two in the Pac-12. Uh, like, I, I know that the expectation is national championship or bust, but honestly, with where the Pac-12 is right now, like, a national championship really hasn't been in the equation for anybody on the West Coast. Uh, I yeah. I think all he's done for the most part outside of that one under 500 season, he's won a lot of games there. Yes, he is. He has. He has. So. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I think like you said, USC and general fans are, you know, national championship or Rose Bowl. And if it's not one of those, or if it's, you know, um, I think a lot of times I think fans get so, uh, up and up about like it being a close game. They want to dominate or like they like they're like they're doing it again. Like <laughs> like <everybody> gets so, <laughs> they get so frustrated because it's like you know little stuff that um, they feel like we should be like on top of or like the game shouldn't even be close. But you know sometimes I feel like our team can in a sense play down to competition at times and you know like it's one of the things where you like start, you dominate, you don't give the other opponent hope because at the end of the day, when you like let them hang around for like a good amount of time, they're like, you know what? They start to get some confidence. Like, Oh, we can hang with these. Like we can hang with USD or we can do this and that. And like, that's the last thing you want to do is give a team hope and for them to get some momentum and then boom, like it just all hits where, you know, before you know it, they're taking the lead and they have all this momentum when you could like stop that from the get go of like, you know, dominating in the first, second quarter and then, you know, just coming out strong in general. So if you had to guess, USC will be back in the national championship picture by what year? Ooh. Mm. This is a great question. So these think, are my favorite ones where they're, they're stumped I, a little bit. I love these. <laughs> I, you know what? I would give it a few years to one kind of build on some of this new talent that is coming in. I would give it maybe like two to three years. Okay. Um, and one, because 
to build on the, these freshmen that are coming in, we have some like top recruits that are coming in now. So to get them some experience and then once they get a little experience under their belt, get stronger, faster and know the system, know how to play the game in a sense in college level and know how to um, know what they're looking for in a sense. I think that will allow us, but I think it all comes down to like giving them the confidence, getting them like out there and then also giving them some confidence and knowing like being able to be like, you know what, like it comes down to like, it always, honestly, all it takes is one player. It literally That's takes true. one player that can change a whole trajectory of a team. Like you saw a Sam Donald did it like on that Rose Bowl run. Like it, it just, it takes one person. You see like a Cam Newton that came in, you see a Johnny Manziel, like it all takes that one. You see a, like a Reggie book, like it just, it all it takes is one. So if you can get that one person to just ball out, be that leader for the team, then, you know, that's all it takes. So. Uh, I'm curious what, what you think about USC's scheduling model, which I'm a big fan of. Like I think USC and UCLA, I want to say are like the only two, uh, power five programs that have only scheduled FBS opponents since the split. I, I think it's something like that. Cause they, they always have a challenging, you know, always Notre Dame is on the schedule. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, they played Alabama mm -hmm. and, and they don't have like these big sky opponents or whatever, or, you know, uh, in, in the PAC 12, we, we don't play Charleston Southern the, the day after Thanksgiving, like they do in other conferences. <laughs> but, SEC. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, how much do you think that might contribute to kind of a, a lesser record be, because they, they are – every other year they're in South Bend. This year, San Jose State, which was undefeated in the regular season, Mountain West champion. Mm -hmm. They're at Notre Dame. And then they have BYU, which had a very good season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, it's tough to say. Like, yeah, BYU is, like, always fine. Like, they always keep a nice squad. And – um, you know, San Jose State's balling too. Like that's a, it's good to see that also because, like, of course, being in the Bay Area, we've done a lot. Our prep team has done a lot with San Jose State, and you know, I've spoken to like some of their like student athletes. But I'm glad to see they're doing well and their program is on the up. Um, but no, I think a lot of times they always say, but like the Pac-12 beats up on each other, and it's so um, it, it's so crazy how that works out when um, it's a it's a tough schedule and. You know, but at the end of the day, you got to win. That's what it comes down to. Like, you got to win those games. Like, we can say Pac-12 is a tough schedule. We beat up on each other at the end of the day. But, yeah, you just got to win those games. And, um, you know, it's it's so interesting how a lot of times this plays out because you never want to have that loss at the end of, like, the year because that could, in a sense, take you out of a national championship picture, a Rose Bowl picture. Like, so it's – you know, if you want to have a loss, like, you better do it early or, like, you don't want to have it at all. And in general, you never want to have a loss. But if that's something you want to have, it motivate you. And, like, you know what, let me get my stuff together. Let me, like, get serious. Like, those are a lot of times when you have those losses early in the picture. You're like, it kind of humbles you in a sense and, like, makes you realize, okay, we need to step it up. And, like, this, we do not want this feeling at all again. And so hopefully that motivates them for the rest of the season. So well, yeah, follow I mean, up question. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I was going to say, and this is actually for both of you. You know, All since right. Stanford-USC is one of the best rivalries in the Pac-12, it has been uh, <laughs> s since that great game in 2007. Uh, great for some of us on this podcast, at least. Uh, <laughs> Two-thirds of us, I'd say. Um, what do you think of Stanford and USC playing in September every year, as it being one of the best rivalries? Should that game be in November more often? 
Uh, Ryan, you, you want to take it first? Honestly, I would like to see it in November. One, that gives, you know, a chance for the teams to really figure out their identity and really, you know, I feel like it would give for a better matchup in a sense. But at the end of the day, like, it is what it is. It's always nice to see that, like, see Stanford. Like, that's always a game that's, you know, look forward to. But I honestly would love to see it, like, a little bit later in the schedule, to be honest with you. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. And, I mean, especially from the Stanford standpoint, usually when we play SC, especially if it's at home, not everyone's on campus yet. And yeah. it, and for both of you, you know how Stanford games are. We, we need all the students we can get in that stadium. So that that's one of the things for me I would love to see a little bit later. I mean, as early – I mean, no earlier than I'd say October, I think, you know, because then you have a little bit of a buildup to it where usually it's yeah. like we'll play one out-of-conference game – and then boom, here comes USC in like week yeah. two or week three. And I think that's what USC is doing this year too, where they play San Jose State and then, then they play us. So, yeah, I would like that build up. Uh, I mean, it would be cool if you could have a schedule where, or a scheduling model where you could have, say, I don't know, whoever finishes first in the North last year versus whoever was number one in the South, we're going to push that game back a little bit in the year just to have that yeah. build up, you know. Um, so things like that, but yeah, I, I feel like it is a little a little too early. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Ryan, before we let you go, now is part of one of my favorite segments. Uh -oh. We're going coast to coast. All right. And of course, the whole thing of it, it's gonna be you name a top five of a certain category that I'll give you, and it could it, it could be pretty much anything anywhere all across the country. Now, part of what you do with the 49ers is you help lead pep rallies. On and road games. So you've been to a lot of different cities, whether it's, you know, I think you've been to New Orleans, you're talking about wanting to go to New York, you know, a lot of different places. So for you, I want to give you top five NFL stadiums you've been to. Ooh. Hmm. I would say Interesting. Ooh, does this have to be in specific order right now? Or if you can, can give I it in an order, it? yes. If not, just give like a top five. Okay, I'll give a top five. In these, do I have to have been to a stadium where it's like an NFL game, or just in general? Like, is this mainly <clears> based <throat> on the kind of like the ambiance of the stadium, and like the <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> like <laughs> like is go. this based on like fans, or like is this based on? Um, just like how it looks or like what, what are we basing everything so, on? So, yeah, let's, let's go NFL games so that way you can give like, you know, their whole game day experience, how you thought it looked, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole package. Gotcha. Well, I would say we've only been on a few as of like road trips. Um, I think, you know, I went to Tampa, I mean, on um, we went to Houston my first year. We went to Tampa Bay my second. And then we went to New Orleans my third. Um, but I think just in general, I would say New Orleans is definitely up there from a game day experience. Um, one, just with how much there. And honestly, you know, I'm not the, you know, like, of course, like with us being from Atlanta, we're not the biggest New Orleans people at all. <laughs> but I think their game day experience is something else. And although it's a older stadium, I would say like 
that's one of the loudest stadiums I've been in. That's one of the toughest teams to play when they're at home. And, like, when they get an ounce of momentum, it is wild. That literally watching that from the, the sideline of the game was an emotional roller coaster. Just that game was crazy. Like Fight. That was a crazy game, and that's like something that I'll always remember. That was one of my favorite games to go to. Um, one because like just like their whole like the way the music that they were playing like before the game, they were playing some Chopper style. They were playing like all these different <laughs> like all these different like fire music, and they're just so just in tune with who they are. Like that's who that nation like cool like. But yeah, that's a tough place to play in. I would say. Um, who else? I think another experience as far as just, um, oh, it's tough because I haven't, like, I wouldn't say, because some of the stadiums I've been in weren't through NFL games, so it makes it a little bit harder because I've only been to, like, um, those those three for, like, road games as far as, like, being on the sideline and seeing how they actually were. Another one, I would say, hmm. You have been to the Coliseum, too, technically, for a road game. Technically, that, yes, that was mm-hmm. another one that was honestly an amazing experience as far as, like, playoff-wise and, like, being in that setting and it was cool to see how of course Falcons at that time but um it was cool to see how uh that was a packed stadium too and I'm like like really excited to like see the new stadium and see how like that comes into Mm -hmm. fashion but that was another like of course I love the Kali and like that's home so I would have that up there um I think although did not I played there but didn't see an NFL game I would say Seattle is another one that is like really cool to play in or just be there in because it's so loud and you know like the 12th like the 12th uh man mantra is like something that's like legit like that stadium Mm -hmm. is loud and yes it's so that would be another one um i would say you know although i you know i was there to watch a game it was cool to really see like jerry's world cool to see the cowboys stadium um, because, you know, although we kind of got a game <laughs> the game I'm thinking about, but yeah, the USC um, Alabama, yeah, USC Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was a really cool stadium to be in. And, um, yeah, just like, cause I feel like his stadium kind of like spurred, you know, everybody getting these new stadiums and everybody mm-hmm. like, you know what, how can we get our stadium like Dallas Cowboys? How can we get it like Jerry's world? So that's another one. So I mean, is that that's, New Orleans, that is Seattle, that is Dallas, and um, that was the three, right? And then we got yeah. two more. Um, hmm. I would say, I'm trying to think. Honestly, or yeah, you said away games too. Um, yeah, you can't put Levi's down. I was about to, because I was like, I love that stadium. That's home. Like, <laughs> um, let's see who else. That boy, wake that boy's alarm probably when he wakes up, telling me when to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, this man E forty B. Oh, he be having the stadium lit. <laughs> um, 
who else? I would say. Hmm. Who else? The Giants or the and like Giants and Jet Stadium. That was actually a really cool stadium to be in. And seems like um, it. Yeah, it was it was dope to be in. So I would say that's up there as well for ones. And away. Who else? I'll give it to the last one will probably be given to hmm. Say, have you probably, been to Nashville yet or are you thinking about doing that one? Was thinking about doing that okay. one. Haven't yeah. been there yet. Or I've been there but not for an actual game. Right. I was uh I would say Houston was actually a really cool one too, just from a standpoint of like we had a kind of like a like, of course, we do these um, what we call like invasions. And so my boy Nick, he like puts those on, he runs those. And that was one of the like most lit ones because like everybody, like all the 49ers fans uh, were there and we went to this uh, bar and just kind of like we were giving out prizes. It was packed. It was cool just to get some like good barbecue down there too. But like, yeah, the stadium was super dope. Um, and yeah, I would say Houston for another one. So Okay. Cool. Yeah. KD? Nice. Yeah, so I haven't been to five of NFL venues for 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 NFL games. Um, but I've I've been to five I think I've been to five stadiums like just for other stuff. Okay. Um, so, I mean, as a, as a Raiders fan, Coliseum, definitely, uh, the Oakland Coliseum, mm-hmm. definitely number one. I mean, I, w- that was my first ever NFL game. I was 10 years old, but then the first quarter, someone spilled beer on my mom and like <laughs> oh, so no. two people who came to the game together, one in a Dolphins gear and, and the other in Raiders gear got arrested for fighting each other. So Raiders, number one, uh, like that place was just super grimy. Uh, um, and, and I loved it. Uh, I had a chance. To, I'm also a Falcons fan. I had a chance to go to the Georgia Dome, the old Rest Georgia Dome. Yeah, for my 13th oh, birthday. Right. That was awesome. I, I went there for a Falcons-Saints game, too. But it was oh, the year perfect. that Paul Anderson was hurt. So, like, both teams sucked. But uh, it, it, it was still <laughs> cool to be there. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's number two. Um, I got a chance to go to the Houston Texans Stadium for the Sweet 16 when Stanford played Texas in 2008. That I mean, that place is just ginormous mm-hmm. and just like everything felt state of the art at the time. Um, I'm gonna put the minute the new Vikings Stadium, even okay. though I haven't been inside, but like I've I went to Minneapolis as it, like right after it finished, and man, that thing just it looks glorious. Um, okay. Big fan of that. And now I'm gonna put Levi's in the top five. Uh, I really like that stadium, even even though I'm not necessarily a Niners fan. I do hope they do well, and this will get me kicked out of the Bay Area. I'll have my Bay card revoked for saying this, but at number 772 is Candlestick Park. <laughs> it was cold. It is always 45 degrees there. It was run down. I don't get people's fascination with that place. That place that place needed to be torn down and thankfully it has been. Oh, oh my goodness. I, I, Actually, I, I, hold it. Oh man. I think it's well, just you might need to edit that last part out. Oh no, I got that's hilarious. <laughs> but I mean the thing is I feel like just like with um 
one of the ones that might be on my list. I think the reason why people love it so much is because, like, even if it is a dump, like, it was their dump. Like, that is just, yeah. you know, it, it was it was people's home for so many years and, like, so many memories, obviously, both baseball and football. So it was one of those, I think it was more one of those things of, like, the memories mean so much more to it of the place than the place itself. Yeah, the place itself is trash. Oh, yeah, I never thought about so. What, what do you have to switch? Oh, like, actually, I'm taking out Houston. I'm like, how did I – literally, when you think, like, when you're on the spot, you can't think. So, I was thinking another one that um, is the Miami Dolphins Stadium. Ah, off okay. the chain. Like, I'm like – Oh, yeah, and of course, Bowl. like, we were, Yeah, I was like, I, how could I forget that? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> so, that was uh, one, like, that was just – and, of course, like, it's – the Super Bowl, so it's a different like feel, but just that that stadium in general is beautiful. And for you, like when you're like uh, walking to the bathroom, working to get like um, some food, like just being able to see an overview of Miami, like the Miami like skyline, is yeah. super dope. Um, so I thought that was another one. Um, and then there was one more. I think uh, I honestly really like the Arizona Cardinals dome. Like yeah. I think that was yeah, a, like, I was glad that one. That, that one was like, we went there for um, Semper Fi. What was it? Semper Fi, and I was yeah. like, that like atmosphere was amazing, and was I was fun. like, that's that's a really cool one um, as well. So I would add that one in there. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, so those two for sure. Cool. All right, let's see. For me, I'm and I'm only gonna put one Atlanta Stadium on there. I won't put both. Um, easily the Georgia Dome. Like I, so the thing for me with new stadiums, like don't get me wrong, I think they're awesome. But mm-hmm. I've always been a person, you know, if I'm going to a football game, I just need to see the game. I don't need all the extra suites and this club and that club. So for me, like the Georgia Dome was perfect. You know, I, I like, don't get it, the Benz is amazing. I've been there for, uh, for Falcons game and for Atlanta United. But, and it's cool, but it's just like, I can do without all the extra stuff because I don't need it. I don't pay attention to it. I'm here for the game. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's easily Georgia Dome. Uh, let's see where else. Uh, I've also been to Tampa, so Tampa was pretty cool. Like, and I was, I was young enough, so like when I saw the pirate ship for the first time, that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> um, let's see what else again, going back with that old school, the Metrodome. You want to talk about someplace that's loud? Uh, the Metrodome is insanely loud. Um, oh, you were there then, for one of the best moments in Vikings history. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> of course, 98 NFC Championship. Um, yeah. Let's see. What's this? Three. Uh, like I said, I thought the Coliseum was really cool because um, that was my first time ever being in the stands. Like I'm used to being on the field and, and things of that nature. So to be in the stands and watching a game was really cool. Um, although I still need to talk to the Rams about that whole whose house Rams house because I think that's copyright infringement, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, where else have I seen a game? Let's see, I've been to Carolina. Um, yeah, Carolina's pretty cool. Uh, been to New Orleans. I have, I need to go back to New Orleans because I was a kid, so obviously I didn't get the whole New Orleans experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and you know what? I'll go. I'll, I'll say Levi's because I, I do hey. have fun. I do have fun when I go to games with Levi's. Uh, I mean, I've talked to Ryan about this before, and I think it's more so me being scarred by Phillips Arena. So back when Phillips was in his first, uh, before they changed to the State Farm, they had like all the suites, all the press, but all the suites were like on one side. And I couldn't stand it. So right. like the fact that Levi's is like that too, it's just like that same triggering factor yeah. for me. That's like the my main thing with the stadium <laughs> besides that. Like I'm cool with it, you know. Um, besides, the Niners always show me love too. So there's that too. Nice. Hey. Oh man! Also, I can tell how much fun you had in the Super Bowl because you said you forgot that you were even there. So that that just, it was a great time in Miami, huh? I, hey, I'm trying to blank that memory out because <laughs> you know the end result. <laughs> um, <laughs> the but, first, um, oh my goodness! I was just gonna say the first 50 minutes of that game were great. Hey, the first the first 50, like the last like eight, uh, <laughs> but. Ah, <laughs> oh, goodness gracious! No, Listen, I, I can relate. Yeah, <laughs> Ooh, struggles, but I can relate. Yeah, but yeah, uh, man. I like, go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say I haven't been to one in Mercedes Benz yet. I was like that as far as like a Falcons game, man. It's cool, man. I mean that that place is huge, and it was it was uh that was what two three years ago. Like the first year it was there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was really cool, man. I mean, it's, it's, in my opinion, though, it's just different. And I mean, you've been to games in the yeah. dome, Kevin, like you say, you've been to one. Yeah. It was just a different vibe in the Georgia dome, you know, where, you know, you didn't have to worry about the, 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 was it the PSLs. Like it, it was just whoever wants to go to a Falcons game, go on in. Right. You had all the big, there was always this one big smoker grill that was on one corner that you walk by and they'd have like a huge tailgate. Like, I don't think they ever went to games. They were just always out there tailgating, partying, and um, would throw. Like, I remember my mom, she sent me a video after they beat the Seahawks. I think this was that Super Bowl run. So they beat the Seahawks, and, like, the whole street is just blocked off because everyone's out dancing and and partying. You know, so it was was like the Georgia Dome was just a vibe for me, man. That's what it was. The Georgia Dome is absolutely awesome. That's home right there. Mm-hmm. Like just like one, just seeing the games in general, and then like playing there too has been like super dope. So it. <laughs> you just had to bring that up, huh? You had to bring that up. Some of us didn't get to play in the Georgia Dome, Ryan. Is that for state championships? Yeah, it was for state championships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like. The, but that Seahawks game in general, though, that was one that was just amazing. And just to see, like, everybody come together afterwards. Like, of course, everybody turns up before, but, like, literally, like, Falcons fans all over just turning up afterwards was, like, awesome. Like, people that you've never met in your life are, like, welcoming you and, like, what's up, like, dancing and mm-hmm. everything. So, the Dome was home for sure. I know everybody in Magic City got paid that night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to let you go, man. Enjoy the rest of the birthday. I appreciate you hopping on, my guy. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. Looking forward to catching up with y'all soon, hopefully once everything calms down. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. We got got some restaurants to go to out here, for sure. Oh, yeah. All right, everyone, welcome back from the A to the Bay podcast. Kevin Dana, Jordan Watkins, we just had my guy Ryan Dillard on, uh, talking a little bit about everything really around under the, the football umbrella. 
But yeah, Katie, I think, again, one of the big things for me that I loved getting out of that, again, was just talking about the increased participation, I think, from girls and women and just all the different levels, right? You talk about skills camp, talk about other camps. Um, and of course, in high school, a lot of people were starting flag football too. That, that gets me excited because I know for me, as some of the most knowledgeable people about football for me growing up in my life were women too. So that, that, was, that was cool for me to hear. Yeah, I, I was really intrigued by, you know, the, the potential of like flag football at the high school mm-hmm. level. It wasn't something I necessarily thought of until this conversation with Ryan because of, you know, with all the, the concussion worries and stuff, here, here's like a, a way to play football and not get a concussion uh, or have less, less of a, a chance to get one, uh, you know, taking out like the, the, the full contact that, you know, playing in pads would. So, yeah, I, I found that very interesting. And, you know, hopefully uh, Sarah Fuller wasn't the last, right? Like hopefully we, we have more. Uh, that that make an impact on the college level in, in the years to come and and in the near term future as well. Yeah, absolutely, and I and I think we will, uh, especially because I think about the last time we had a, a D one woman football player that did not go too no. well, at least in terms of things that happened potentially in the locker room. You know, yeah. things things of that nature. Obviously, I don't want to get too much into it, but the the overall reception though that you saw with Sarah Fuller was completely different. At least it yeah. felt different. And where you had, obviously you still had the haters were in the, uh, was it Mizzou game where she had the squib kick to the sideline and go, oh, that's all she could kick. That's it. Like, this is just a publicity stunt. And then got, and it, it's the guys, right? It wasn't just the women. It, it's men saying she, that's what the coach told her to do. Like she actually kicked yeah. that perfectly. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that was, that was good to see. And obviously she was part of the inauguration ceremony. Um, so it, it was, it was really cool. It, it definitely felt different. Yeah, no, Hey, Hey, don't, don't let a nuance uh, get in the way of someone making a sexist argument, right? Wadi? It's all about, it's all about the agenda, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we only saw that for the last week or so too. Uh, but yeah, so let, let's wrap things up. I think as we talk today, we're about one week away from opening day yep. for baseball. Uh, so that's about to get picked up. I'm excited. You know, I'm waiting to see the new way my Braves can break my heart this year. Because, uh, you know, I always expect it. I just expect it now. Uh, how, how do you see them looking and how, how do you think that the rest of the divisions are going to shape up? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. I I mean, I just think back to all the opportunities the Braves had against the Dodgers, right? Seriously. So, so close. So close. Um, But, yeah, no, it's going to be an interesting year. You know, back to playing a full 162. I I don't see any reason as to why there there would be a drop-off for Atlanta. Um, This, you know, it gets started in Philadelphia, uh, that's a really nice park. Uh, uh, you know, if we did a top five for, for major league parks, well, Philadelphia would be in there, but it's, um, it's, uh, and I've been to like 20 something parks, okay. so I, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't see why the Braves wouldn't compete for the NL East again, like they have in recent years and, and have been very successful in the regular season. Yeah. I mean, it, it's weird. They, I mean, they, they made some, free agency moves right to help with the with the rotation with the Charlie Morton and the and the uh, Drew Smiley I believe but really all they had to do in terms of rotation to even get better there was just get healthy 
And so when, you know, Soroka comes back, obviously we saw how well Ian Anderson was last year. You know, you have those two guys, um, you know, it, so they're, they're looking pretty solid. And, you know, since they re-signed Marcelo Zuna, I think that, you know, that once again, the offense, it was huge. It was huge. Um, yeah. That offense, once again, is going to be right up there with one of the best in the league. Yep. So, I, you know, I'm, I think they should four-peat in the division. And then, of course, the only question is, what are you going to do when you play those elites? Because now, before it was, the way I used to say in, in, the, in the National League, it was the Braves and the Dodgers. Now, the Dodgers were obviously a level above the Braves, but those were your two best teams. Yeah. Now – you've got these other guys coming in too, you know, whether it's, you know, um, the Mets made their additions, the Cardinals made some additions, the Padres were big time buyers this off season. Big time. And then of course the team that was ahead of you, all, all they did was sign Trevor Bauer. So, <laughs> you know, now it's, it's like you said, you had all these opportunities to, to take advantage. You didn't do it. Now, congrats. Like you're still going to be good, but so many other teams are better now too. So, yeah. you know, good luck with that. You know, I, I will say as I look at the Braves roster, like I, I do like the depth in the outfield. I mean, uh, you know, you have Acuna and, and Azuna there, and then, you know, you could either, you know, flip between like Inciarte and I really like Pache last year. Oh, I love Pache. So, like, you know, that is your top four in the outfield. And then, of course, you know, the infield depth when, when you have an Ozzie Albies and Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, a Freddie Freeman, of course, Johan mm-hmm. Camargo's there. Like they, they've definitely got the talent to, to, to run this back. But yet, I mean, the Padres, I mean, you know, in addition to all the, all the like acquisitions they had, how about dropping 340 million on Tatis as well? Yep. So I, I think they set themselves up very nicely and uh, to, to really, make a push for, you know, for the NL West there and being really competitive with the Dodgers. Oh, absolutely. I and mean, I think it's still going to be the Dodgers in the West, but it's going to be, it's not just going to be a cakewalk. Um, yeah. It's now, you know, you're talking about a young team and we, I mean, we mentioned this with basketball. As soon as one of these young teams get that experience, that playoff experience, I know it was a different setup last year than usual, but once you give a young team that playoff experience, they understand it, they want more of it, and they, they, they start expecting to be there. It's no longer a surprise. So, yeah, I mean, when I look at it, I mean, like I said, Braves, I think, will win the East. Um, the Central, uh, I mean, St. Louis. I think St. Louis will be back in the Central. And then yeah. the Dodgers in the West. I, I think those are my, my three division winners on the, on the NL side. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to, to disagree with those just with how well the Braves and Dodgers have been in kind of the institutional power that, that the Cardinals are. I'm, I'm looking at the Baseball America predictions, kind of like 2021 season preview, and uh, they do not disagree with us. See, I, I, we should be writing for, for so many other people. We're, <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing their work for free. There, there it is. Yeah. Um, All right, American League. Yeah, American League. So the East is interesting to me. Um, and it's basically a two-team race, I think, with Tampa Bay. Because, why? Because they always just find a way to do more with less. And, of course, the big spender is the Yankees. Uh, I think the Blue Jays are going to be a fun team. I think they're going to be one of those that they'll, they'll catch somebody slipping. I just don't know if they're ready yet to be that contender for the division just yet. Yeah. Um, so I'll I'll still just go Yankees. Is I mean again, when you're paying all that money out, you better win something. 
So yeah. I'll go with them. In the Central, I, I, I like the White Sox. They, they were really impressive last year. Yeah. And, you, you know, I, it didn't work out against the A's in the postseason. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, Giolito is really tight. They, they got mm-hmm. a really strong rotation there. Strong And a lot of really strong young bats, too, that, yeah. you know, we, we got to see uh, on display last year. And then in the West, you know what? Let, let's, uh, I'm going to go Seattle. Really? I'm going to pick Seattle, and the reason why is, well, I guess, you know, I really don't know the reason why. I just, <laughs> um, I think it's just one of those things where, you know, when I was looking at them last year, again, they, they got off to a pretty hot start. Oh, and, yeah, they were like 13-2, and two, right? Yeah, they, they, were, they were killing it. Um, and so, you know, I want to see them build off that. And one thing for me is I always have a little bias too to like some of the, um, well, Orlando with another trade, but, um, Ooh. yeah, it looks like Aaron, Aaron, uh, Aaron Gordon's going to Denver. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. So that's San Jose what, boy, Aaron Gordon. That's their third trade of the day. I think cause they Fournier went somewhere too. I want to say, whoa. So they're sellers. Man. Yeah, like I said, this this is the great thing about the trade deadline. We're talking about baseball. The next thing you know, here comes a Woj bomb. Pro- progress. Oh, yeah. I'm seeing the Sean's tweet. Yeah, done, done deal a minute ago. Yeah. Ooh, and Gary Harris off to the magic. Gary Harris. I wonder, okay. There's got to be something else. There's got to be been like, a Gary Harris fan. I, I, I do like me some Gary Harris. He was yeah. on my fantasy basketball team a couple of years ago. All right, but um, you have the West. Actually, no, I think I take it back. I don't. Uh, <laughs> no take backs, Waddy. We learned that in school. It's all right. Uh, we I didn't guarantee it yet. Shout out Charles Barkley. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean guarantee. <laughs> he's never right either. But <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I love the A's. I want to go for him, but they just they let so much go this off season. Yeah. So I don't, I just, they're going to take a step back. back. Yeah. Um, where, I mean, same thing with Houston though, where Houston, obviously I think that's going to be everyone's favorite, you know, L2 and all those guys are back, but they still lost some, a little bit last year too. Uh, Springer's gone now. I think he's in Toronto, but when I look at it, you know, the Angels, we've always hoped they could take that next step and so you can get Mike Trout on a national level. That's what you want. Yeah, yeah it's what you want. I don't see it. I'll, I'll go easy, Houston. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that. Like, I, I just, And, you know, as a Bay Area, even though I don't like the Giants at all or didn't like the Giants now, I'm a little more ambivalent, uh, could care kind of less one way or another. I mean, those, those early 2000s teams growing up in the Bay Area – with Dusty Baker, like, I do have mm-hmm. a soft spot for that part of the Houston Astros. Maybe not the whole uh, cheating part, but, right. um, you know, that, that wasn't Dusty. That was, that was pre-Dusty. I'm going to go with the Rays in the East. Okay. Um, just, just like what, the, what they've been able to do. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I like the White Sox as well uh, in, in the Central. Uh, really impressed with them in the shortened season. And, all right, yeah, Tony La Russa certainly has some baggage, but – He's a hell of a manager. Yes, there's, he is. There's not much uh, to to dispute that. So, I'm gonna go with the those as my division winners. And I and I mean uh, the big thing for that too with Tony Russa, apparently Tim Anderson's bought in with him. 
So yeah. that that I think that goes for something uh, with how the field that clubhouse is. I mean, one of their even one of their best players and also one of their most well known players in the league too. So you know that was that was huge. Um, yeah. So yeah, those are your division winners. Uh, do you have an idea who we're, who we're going to see in the World Series? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the gonna go with the Cardinals. Mm. And uh, you know what? I'm gonna go Cardinals Yankees out of a uh, out of the wild card. Okay. But and I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay, St. Louis Cardinals. I yeah. will go. This is all. It's always about pitching. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be. Um, doggone it! Why am I gonna do this? I'm going the Braves in the NL. Oh. <laughs> I, I could, come on, I, you already know that's not going to happen. I couldn't fight it. I just couldn't fight it. <laughs> um, and and that's off of a MVP season for Ronald Acuna. Freddie Freeman will finish third. And in the AL, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go a little, little throwback series for you, one that the Braves should have won. It'll be Braves-Yankees. Oh, don't remind me of 96. I know. Shout out Andrew Jones, by the way. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Um, oh man. No one made it look easier in center field. Ever. Yeah. Ever. I mean, what he it was a game one or two, like two homers, the youngest to hit two homers in a in a World Series game. He was nineteen, right? Yeah, it was like nineteen. Oh. And up five nothing in game three. Oh my goodness. Like this everyone knows and because it's because social media was around. Everyone always gives the gives the Falcons the 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 you know, the load for a 28 to three and rightfully so. But when you look at how, what the Braves blew in those nineties and early two thousands, in my opinion, some of those are a whole lot worse yeah. than, than 28 to three, in my opinion, 91, you have to send the runner from third yep. and Ken Herbeck pushed. I think yeah, it was offers. Yes, he did. Wrong game. Pushed him off. Absolutely pushed him off. They got screwed there. Uh, 92, you had a chance. You, you won game one against the blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Uh, lost that series in six at 96 is probably the most frustrating probably, most one hurtful. of them yeah you're up two nothing um the the 99 series never really had a chance um but 90 91 and 96 in particular 92 as well i thought you know after the game one that damon burial had in 92 you know, i was like i was almost six years old i was like all right we're gonna do it this year um, and then I was frustrated that they didn't beat the Phillies in 93. Hmm. LCS. Um, but, yeah. I mean, you keep it going. There was, what, 05 losing to the Astros? Oh, the Astros in like 18 six, innings. 18 innings. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Um, that was my freshman year. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. Um, there was – I mean, we talked about last year blowing a 3-1 lead. And yep. just the worst base running possible to, to help On do that. Real. Um, and you know, you gave up was in one of those games, you gave up the second most runs in the first inning in, in playoff history because yeah. the year before you gave up the most runs in a single <laughs> inning in playoff history. God. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's, there's just so many things where it's like, no, a 28 three was bad, but the Braves consistently did this in, in the playoff time. It? So yeah, that, it, no, they hurt, they hurt more year after year. Yeah. But that will do it for another episode. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. As we mentioned, we'll have some updates coming on the Twitter feed soon about where you can find 
not just the video. We'll, we'll keep trying to post the, the videos as well, but just audio. Maybe, you know, you have some cleaning, got a road trip and you want to check this out. So you'll be able to do that soon too. We will let you know about that. But in the meantime, everyone, thanks again. Stay safe and we will see you soon. Peace.